Up until, uh, up until recently, beside my house, there was a field. There's since been some construction, so there's some homes going up. There used to be a field beside my house. And uh, beside my field grew all sorts of wild things, uh, including some wild roses. So they, they, weren't the, they weren't the long stem roses. They were a little bit more bushy than that. But every spring, uh, beside my home in the field and the edge of the woods, and they would actually climb the tree some, there would be roses that would be blooming. I have four children. I have two sons and two daughters. And my two daughters every spring, seeing the roses had bloomed, would go out unnoticed and would gather a bou you know, bouquet of, of flowers, would arrange them, and then in love deliver them to, to their mom, my wife, as a gift. And I tell you that story because I believe it best illustrates what preaching ought to be. You see, God created those roses, didn't he? My daughters only went out and gathered, arranged, and delivered with love what God had made. In the same way, I believe it's the responsibility of the preacher to gather, arrange, and deliver with love what God has already said. Amen. This is, this is God's gift to us. And all the preacher does in preparation is walk through the garden of God's word. Select the most beautiful of his treasures. Arrange them in a way that can be given and deliver them with love. And so I may, you may have remembered from yesterday, it is my goal to give you a gift each day. Yesterday, it was my job to give you the gift of knowing how to face death with courage. If you were here yesterday, you'll remember from 1 Peter that message. They'll be online once we get them all posted later this week if you did not, were not able to make it. Today, I come bearing a different gift for you that comes today from the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Judges. Once you make your way to this Old Testament passage or a book, I'll invite you to turn to the seventh chapter. It's a passage that is very, very familiar. If you've been in Bible school, if you have been in Sunday school, you've certainly at some point in your life walked through this passage. And let me ask you, who is the central character that is found in Judges chapter, really chapter 6, and chapter 7, and chapter 8. What, who is this passage all about? It's, it's about Gideon. So before we talk about Gideon, we need to talk a little bit about the book of Judges at large. What is this whole book of the Bible about? So we can get a little bit of context. So when the book of Judges begins, who has just finished being the leader of Israel? Mm, that's a tough one. His name is the book that precedes the book of Judges. Okay, Joshua had been leading Israel. Now, what kind, of, what kind of leader was Joshua? Tell me about Joshua. What kind of man was Joshua? He's faithful. Very faithful. He's excellent, a great man of God. In fact, wasn't it Joshua and Caleb, ring a bell? who years before had been spent out, sent out as spies to check out the promised land, along with ten others. Remember this? This is coming back, isn't it? And those ten gave an evil report. 
But Joshua and Caleb, those faithful too, delivered a godly report. We can take this land with God's help. That's the kind of man Joshua was. And he ultimately led after Moses. So when we open the book of Judges, if we were to graph the spiritual temperature of the nation, we would say when the book opens, it's a really, really good place. They're in a healthy place. Now, you've already opened to Judges, and I hate to make you turn, but if you could find the last verse in the book of Judges, so you're going to have to flip a few pages and go all the way to the last verse of the book of Judges. It's verse 25 of chapter 21. When you get there, somebody read that out loud once you get there. Judges 21, 25, it's the last verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Is that a compliment? Or is that a, what would be the opposite? A disaster. <laughs> That's a disaster, right? When God says everyone did what was right in their own eyes and they had no king, what God is describing is rebellion because God was the king of Israel. And they were supposed to do what was right in God's eyes. But here we find at the end of the book that they have in many ways rebelled against their divine king and they're doing whatever they so will please. Sounds a little like America. Mm-hmm. So notice we have now a framework for the book of Judges. We started very high spiritually we end very low in between looks like a roller coaster they decline spiritually god sends a judge you might call him a maybe a pastor or prophet or maybe whatever you choose but there's a bit of revival and then there's decline a little revival but ultimately they're on a downward spiral which is what i see in america we had billy graham didn't we but we still slid further down and I also see that in many, many churches. You get a pastor, there's a little perk, but then you go down. This book is a very helpful book of the Bible. We get to read about one of the revivals that happened under one of those judges. His name is Gideon. So let's go back to chapter 7. We'll spend the rest of our time in chapter 7. So first we need to set the framework for what is happening in Gideon's day. So we need to look at chapter 6. It might be on the same page. For me, it's on the same page of my Bible. And I just need some help reading verse 33 of chapter 6. Can anybody read that for me? 633. Now all the Midianites and the Levites mm -hmm. and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Excellent. Okay. So let's try to unpack this a little bit. Who gathered in the valley of Jezreel? Who were those people? Midianites who are described like the sands of the sea. So how many Midianites were there? Lots. Lots. But it wasn't just the Midianites. Who else was there? This crazy people called the Amalekites. <laughs> So we now have a treaty between enemies, and they have allied together. They've made an alliance for what reason? Come against 
to come against Israel. And it's not just the Midianites, it's not just the Amalekites, it's also some other bands of people that are located in the east. So the whole region has gathered for one purpose. They've come together to destroy the nation of Israel. And those are bad days, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Do you see any parallel between what I just said in describing this situation with the situation of the church in America today? Anybody want to argue? This is, this is the kind of group where we can, you know, we can share our thoughts. It's okay. So what, what do you see as a parallel between this moment in time and our moment in time? I know your thoughts are rattling. Politically, it's being less and less okay to be Christian. Okay, so we find even our governing authorities are beginning to apply pressure. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. To our liberties. What else do you see? How, how, about, how about Hollywood? Is that a good enough of a leader? What would you say of Hollywood and how they are alliances coming against what we believe? Is that a fair statement? Definitely. So there's some parallels here. Well, we find that God is going to raise up Gideon, and he is going to deliver the nation of Israel. Let me ask you, how will America be delivered from our sin and rebellion against God? It will be as God raises up the church. Let me tell you something. Politics will not save this nation. No president will save this nation. No television program will save this nation. It is the preaching of the gospel. It is the work of the church that will save this nation. Let me tell you something. This revival is the seed of salvation for our nation. And so it was in Gideon's day. I read now from chapter 7 and verse 1 where we see God gathering his people to do his work. And I want us to take particular notice to the qualifications. I read quickly. Then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Okay, so here are the qualities God is looking for in his people to do his work. In other words, if you want God to use First Baptist Gordon... He is looking for these qualities. And if you don't have them, he won't use you. Now, the first quality is found in verse 2. What is that first quality? What does God say about the army of Israel? It's too many. It's too many. Army's too big. Isn't that a funny thing for... Who has ever said that about an army? What general has ever looked at his army and said, We've got too many soldiers here. But God said that about his army. And he tells us why he said that about his army. Why is God concerned about the size of Israel's army? 
Because if they get the victory, and who's going to give the victory? God is the one who gives victory. Always. Is that not true? Yep. But the people, we deceive ourselves, don't we? God gives a victory, and then we raise our, raise our hand and take the credit. And God says, that will not do. Here's the quality that God will not tolerate pride. God will not tolerate pride among his people, ever. What he is looking for is a group of people who will humbly rely on him to do his work, which means that Gordon, First Baptist Gordon, is in a fabulous place to spark revival across this nation. There's not many of y'all here. Not even in the town. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, let's face it. If revival breaks out in Gordon, uh, Texas, everybody, including the media, is going to say, God did that. <laughs> if it happened in Dallas, well, I, you know, there's a lot of people that could put on a show there, but if something happens here, God's going to do it. Because he's looking for people that have a humility that says, hey, we need God to do it. Notice, we move quickly through the text. Verse 3 gives us the next quality. It says this, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful or afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. What's the second quality that God is looking for in his people to do his work? Courage. It is, it's, it's courage. I am not afraid. I should tell you this. I, am, I always find preaching to be extremely a fearful thing. And I'm especially afraid of large crowds. And I'll be honest with you. I, I just, I am. So I was praying this morning. I, if you've seen me walking, I'm praying as I walk. I believe in prayer walking. I believe in praying through the community like that. So I've been doing that in the mornings. I was praying this morning. And uh, I was praying. I said, Lord, I appreciate, Lord, the revival. It's been so sweet. we got a great little group. And I just want you to know, I was telling the Lord I enjoyed this the most. This is what I enjoy the most. Far prefer this. I said, but Lord, if you call me, I will preach to any size audience. I am not afraid. And that's the spirit that we have to have. Whatever God says do, you know what we're going to do? Sign me up for that one. Mm -hmm. Humility, courage. And then the last one is found a little further below, verse 4. I read very quickly. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be... Of whom I say to you, this one shall be with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink. So let's see if we can visually picture this, and let's see if we can guess, because the Bible doesn't say exactly why, but I think we can make a good guess. 
as to how God is segregating his people and why some are willing to fight or, or, or God uses to fight and others are sent home. So let's try to envision a river in front of us. Let's try to envision soldiers who are thirsty because all of the soldiers are thirsty. Soldiers get thirsty. All of them are thirsty. Some of the soldiers get down on their hands and knees and drink directly with their mouth from the water. Now, I won't get down because you didn't see me, I guess. But if I were to do that, you would notice that all of my attention would be given to meeting my own needs. What can you see if you drink water out of the river like that? What can you see? You can see the water. That's all you can see. The water's right here, right? And what can you hear? The bubbling brook beside of you. All of your faculties have been given to meet your own needs. Some men did not do that. Some men got down, as you may have done as a child, and they cupped their hands and they drank water. <laughs> Notice, some of their faculties are given to meet their needs, but not all of them. Their eyes can keep the, they can still keep their eyes on the enemy, and they're still prepared to do the work of war should it come. <clears throat> which of those two did God want for service, and which of those two did God exclude from service? The ones that got down on their knees and they put their full attention to themselves, God says, I don't need you. You're not useful to me. Go home. If all you can think about is yourself, God can't use you. God does understand that we have needs. We need to eat. We need to clothe ourselves. We need to provide for our families. And he has no problem with us meeting our needs. But there should always be room in our lives to fulfill his calling and his work. And for those, God says, I can use you. These are the qualities. It is humility. It is courage, and it is selflessness. When those qualities are in the presence of a congregation, God looks upon us, and I say this from the authority of his word, God looks upon us, and he says, I can do my work. Not many strong, not many mighty. God uses the weak things of this world. That's what the New Testament would say. So that would mean that our job is pretty simple, isn't it? It'd mean that we should search out humility and courage and selflessness. Now, none of those things is what I intended to tell you this morning. We haven't yet got to the sermon. The most important part, the part I wanted to convey to you, is still yet to come, and there's still time for us to get there. So they gather their army, and I now turn my page in my Bible over to verse 9. Excuse me, over verse uh, 16, where we find the army is uh, gathered, all 300 of them. How is that? 300 of them against the Midianites, Amalekites, and all the people of the East. There are 300. And now we get to see God's plan. Let me just ask you before I read the text, does anybody remember from VBS or Sunday school what God's plan was of attack on these Midianites? Do you remember what the plan was? I see some people looking quickly. 
Okay, I'll read it. Here's the plan in verse 16. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, so 100 apiece. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. All right, hold on. Let me, let's just go ahead and make sure we understand what's going on. What were their weapons? <laughs> trumpet and pitchers. All right, we got a trumpet. <laughs> Torch, and we got, a, we got a pitcher. And a torch. And I got a torch. How y'all feeling about this war? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, what do the Midianites have? I, I don't know the culture that well, but what do you think they had? Spears. Yeah, some spears, swords. You know, I don't know what they had, those crazy things they made in those days. I don't know. But they, they had formidable weapons. And we have 300 men, and we have torches, and we have pitchers, and we have trumpets. <laughs> Now you see where, oh, why God had to get rid of the rest of those folks, don't you? Here's what I want to say. God's ways are not our ways. Amen. Why do you think he gave them trumpets and pitchers and torches? He's already kind of hinted at it. Why do you think God gave that to those 300 men? Why would he give them that? So when the victory happens, he gets the glory. Yes. Watch what happens. I, I don't have time to read all the text. But I'll read as fast as I can. Verse 17, he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They had their torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand for blowing. And they cried the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Look at verse 22. It's marked in my Bible. When the 300 blew the trumpet, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. These 300 men blew their trumpets, broke their jars, made a little racket. Who won the victory? God did. God confused the Midianite armies and they killed each other. It's the middle of the night. You don't know who's fighting who. They were in a, you ever been in a panic? Y'all ever done anything? You ever been in a panic? I'll tell you a quick story. I got stung by yellow jackets about three. Y'all have yellow jackets down here? Mm -hmm. Okay. I got stung by yellow jackets. I got in, a, 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 in the woods. I was in a panic. I look like a crazy man. <laughs> Trying to get away from the danger. That's what happened. And God won the victory for Israel. All they did was blow trumpets, break pitchers, and shout to the Lord. Now here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you something. Preaching is a foolish business. You say, what in the world do you mean? That God would take somebody like me with all my deficiencies. You know what I am? I'm a trumpet. I'm a pitcher. I'm a torch. It's crazy trying to preach. But you know what? God can, God can take our weaknesses. God can take our inabilities. All he needs is humility and courage and selflessness. He'll do the rest. Mm -hmm. He'll do the rest. He can take vacation Bible school. He say, "All I'm doing, all I'm doing is just serving cookies." God can 
refused serving cookies for his glory. That's right. He said, all I did was post a flight. All I did for this revival was pick up the phone and invite my neighbor. That's all God needed. That's all he needed. That's all he needs is for us to do the simplest acts of obedience and let him do the rest. Because I am sure that if he can defeat the Midianites, he can raise revival in Gordon, Texas. I still haven't gotten to the sermon that I had planned. <laughs> the last part in our last five minutes is actually the part that I wanted to tell you. It was actually the gift that I had hoped to give you this morning. The rest was just leading to this point. I ask you, when did this battle begin? It was in the text when I read it. When? So it was in the middle of the night. I think it said the third watch, which I don't know for sure, but that implies to me like two in the morning. Once the Midianites, and you can read the rest of this story maybe this afternoon, once the Midianites get confused, they're killing each other and they're running. Those who survived are on the run. And so these 300 men began to pursue them and other Israelites join in. I want to tell you something about revival. You let a touch of revival break out in this church and you'll find that revival breaks out in other churches, in other counties, in other cities. Do you know in America there has been two great awakenings where revival swept through the entire nation? One started with Jonathan Edwards all the way up in the Northeast back in the 1700s, spread all over the nation. Another happened about 100 years later under the preaching of Charles Finney, and it just spread over the nation. Do you realize that when there is victory in one life, there's usually victory in another? Do you realize that if you baptize one person, you'll probably baptize two? Did you know that? You see, every time somebody gets baptized, there's another lost soul out there, and God convicts them. That victory in Jesus is contagious. And so the battle goes on. It lasts through the night. In fact, I, I did the math, and I found that this battle lasted for uh, all night long, 10, 12, 15 hours maybe. And if you do the geography, you'll find that this battle covered 10 to 15 miles. In other words, these, these 300 men, along with others that are now joining them, have been battling for all day and all night or all night and the next day, and they've gone 15 miles chasing the Midianites out of their territories. How do, you think, how do you think you feel after 15 hours of warfare and 15 miles of pursuit? How would you feel if you were a soldier? You would feel tired. This is what I came to tell you this morning. Here's the gift I hope to deliver to you. I get tired doing God's work. Do you? I have four children at home, and one of my callings is to raise them. I am exhausted. My wife is actually exhausted this week because she's got it by herself. It's exhausting. Here's what I found out about preaching. Preaching is exhausting. You want to know what preachers do on uh, Sunday afternoons? We sleep. You say you're lazy. No, I'll say we work double time. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to leave vacationing Bible school, isn't it? I mean, five nights every night, you work all day, you come here, you serve at night. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to go on mission trips. 
It's a great high, and then Saturday our plane will land in Raleigh-Durham, and you know what's going to hit us? Life. <laughs> Everything we were supposed to do this week. Now, I cut, I cut four lawns to make a little extra money for my family. Guess what i got to do when I get back home Saturday? Yeah, they didn't stop growing when I came to Texas. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting to be a pastor. It's exhausting to be whatever you are, whatever God has called you to do. It's exhausting. Now, mark this in your Bibles. I want you to look at the last verse where we end, chapter 8 and verse 4. Here's what the Bible says in 8.4. When Gideon came to the Jordan River, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over exhausted but still in pursuit and there my friend is the gift that God would have you to have this morning. what God desires from you and me is that quality of being exhausted but still in pursuit this is a senior adult revival so I recognize that many of you have put in years of service to the Lord. I meet many seniors who believe they've done their turn. God, God's word would compel us that though we be exhausted, we should still be in pursuit. Pursuit of lost souls. Pursuit of God's ministry. Whatever it may be. So here's my challenge for you as we close. We do have one song and then remember lunch. Here's my challenge for you. First, what has God called you to do? Question two is, have you quit on him? And then question three is, if you feel that God is present in these services through the prayer times, through the music, through the testimony, and through the preaching, and you believe America needs revival, then why would you not invite someone to service tomorrow? I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, come back and lead that last song, and we will be dismissed to our lunchtime. And I'll go ahead and say a blessing as well over the lunch right now, if that's okay. So let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your precious word. Lord, we thank you that the qualities that you look for are indeed qualities that could be present in all or any of our lives, Lord, that you're looking for humility. You're looking for courage. Lord, you are looking for selflessness. You are looking for men and women who belong to you and will obey you no matter what your call is on our life. And Lord, we do ask you now, what is your calling for us today? What would you have us to do? Who would you have us to invite to these services? Who would you have us to invite to this vacation Bible school? What ministry would you want us to continue and press on with? Lord, I pray finally that you would cause us, even though we be exhausted, to still be in pursuit. That we would not quit on you. Lord, you did not quit on us. You went all the way to the cross for us. And now, Lord, whatever work you would like to do in our lives, we invite you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.